Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Program, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. It is, oh, I didn't even look at what the date is with my dumb butts up. Um, we're looking at, ooh, January 17th. So we're about uh, a little under three weeks into 2020. And, uh, of course, for those of you who have not seen all of the notes everywhere, whenever you write a check, put 2020 instead of, uh, uh, you know, 11720 because somebody could come behind and put a 16 behind it, a 17 behind it, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, here in Chicago, it just turned very, very cold. We got a couple inches of snow. It's, uh, it's kind of an unpleasant time, but it's a good night to be in. Tonight's special guest is um, author M.R. Richardson, someone who I met at uh, Boscone in you know, the uh, science fiction convention in Boston that they have around, uh, probably around, I would call it Valentine's Day every year. And uh, he's coming to us from, from the Spokane, Washington area. So, Mr. welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to be on a show like this. Um, I, I want to have plenty of, uh, well, I have about four books to talk about. <laughs> oh, well, that's good, yeah. Um, but, you know, before we get into that, uh, first of all, I mentioned that uh, you're, you're at, in Spokane. Are you a transplant or did you grow up there? What's the deal? Uh, Spokane, I've been here for about 15 years. Um, my dad moved here, and my family kind of moved here, and then they all moved away. Um, but I liked it here, so I stayed. Um, I, I'm originally from the uh, the western side of Washington, and that's Seattle, Seattle Seahawks kind of thing. Um, and uh, they have very mild weather, and then Spokane had actual four seasons, and so I fell in love with that. Okay. Well, yeah, we have four seasons here in Chicago, and often we can have all four of them in one day, which is very, very <laughs> fortunate. You know, if you don't have if you don't have a lot of spare time. Um, and and then you know, growing up, uh, let's see, Washington. I don't know much about Washington State. I know a little bit more about Oregon than than Washington. Um, is it is it a hospitable environment for creatives and specifically even black creatives? I mean. And, and I mean, you don't have to get into too much detail, but if you stayed after your family went, it sounds like it it has something that attracts you. Yes, um, I would say more of it's more non like uh, creative issues that uh, attract me to the uh, eastern side of Washington. But actually, for the eastern uh, for the eastern side of Washington, it is not very. I would say. Very good for that. Um, well, it's kind of like I'm kind of like in a desert of that. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of uh, like my city is only I would say it's usually between one to two percent black. Okay. But uh, Western Washington is all I'm still attached to Western Washington, um, so I still do stuff like that. And then Oregon's really close by. And it hasn't been uh, an issue with me traveling to uh, places like Bosco or Boston for Boscone and um, 
Uh, actually, recently I was just at the uh, NASPIC in Utah. Okay. Hey, what's Utah like? I drove through it one time, and it was the only time my then-girlfriend, fiancé, whatever, uh, allowed me to carry a gun on the road because driving through Utah can be dangerous country with a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, the white supremacist camps there and things like that. But um, it, it seemed like it was fairly beautiful. I mean, have you spent much time there, enough to kind of get a good feel for it? Um, I was there for about a week. Um, um my girlfriend actually has a, a friend from college um, that she still keeps in touch with that lives down there. So we got a more intimate tour of the area. Um, and it was, it was nice. It also kind of feels like a separate country because of how different it is from, I would say, any other place I've been. Um, the religious factor is really huge in Utah, whereas in where I live and other places that I've been, it's, it's not as big. So just seeing how influenced it was by its religion, um, actually, I kind of looked at it like a tourist, and I was amazed. It was kind of cool because it was so exotic for me. <laughs> um, but uh, Utah itself was uh, – it, it was an interesting place. Um, I would say uh, it has a beautiful uh, – is, is a beautiful place where it's a very uh, – a lot more flat than I'm used to. Um, but that was also very cool for me because of how different it was. Yeah, that's, it's always nice to go someplace that's not like where you're from because, you know, the majesty of nature is undeniable and it's, it's bigger than us. And yet, you know, here we are as, as, you know, as a race, you know, we're kind of tearing up our environment. But anyway, so you mentioned that you've got a number of books that you want to talk about. Um, have you, were you an early writer? Is this something that, that you kind of fell into early in life or is it, you know, for me, I was like mid forties when I wrote my first book, I had never done anything creative like that. I've done technical manuals and all kinds of stuff for work, but never anything as creative as a, as a novel for you. What was kind of like the beginning of, you know, your, your awareness or your, your kind of uh, development as a writer, was it something out of school or was it later? For me, uh, what ended up happening, I've always been kind of, I've kind of always dipped in and out of it. Um, I've always written a story here or there. Um, I've always wanted to do, I've always wanted to contribute to the science fiction community, uh, something that I I take in so much. Uh, I kind of take it in in the more millennial way of movies and TV and and all this, and I've always wanted to kind of bring some of that back out and add my own spin to it. Um, I'm always, and also I'm a little bit different because a lot of writers at conventions and whatnot, um, they usually want to just talk about whatever uh, mundane thing they were thinking about at the time, their cats, their, uh, uh, their pet dogs or whatnot. And I'm always thinking about um, the next science fiction concept that I can really bring out in the world and how to advance the actual entire genre. Um, um, like uh, before Star Wars had its resurgence, uh, the fact that space opera was kind of, uh, it was almost dying before, uh, you know, it came back into play. Cool. Um, and, and then early on, were, were a lot of your influences, you know, like a lot of people talk about, oh, uh, um, uh, cartoons, you know, were, were my 
first foray into you know appreciating science fiction or or comic books or or whatever you know for you what what was kind of like your early entertainment what was your go to kind of um either you know reading or or viewing or whatever that kind of put you into this genre um, I was always an early, um, I did have comic books when I was a, a kid. Uh, uh, I was always a, an early Star Trek fan, um, although I, I kind of grew out of the, the Trek as a uh, fanage. Uh, I remember crying because um, my dad wouldn't let me watch the um, the series finale to uh, Next Generation. Um, <laughs> like I threw a fit about that. <laughs> um, uh, but... And little did I know that, like, wait a couple years and um, you could just watch TV and on demand. Um, back then it was more of an event. Like, you can't um, – if, if a TV show wasn't on, you, you're just going to miss it <laughs> kind of a thing. Right, um, right. But I was always an early cartoon watcher. watched the uh, Superman cartoons back in the day. Uh, uh, watched Static Shock, uh, you know, all of, everything that I could really take in. So I was watching cartoons, TVs, and uh, TV and movies, and I was just always a fan of science fiction. I don't think I can remember a time when I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then what gave you the bug to actually put pen to paper or, you know, keyboard to whatever? But, I mean, what, what really kind of what, – what was the threshold – that well, brought you into the yeah yeah um, well basically it was kind of a job change um, I got laid off from a a long a long term job and realized that it was keeping me from following my dream of uh, of writing um, and uh, and I think also um, the, I kind of mentioned the the Star Wars Star Wars resurgence um, um, when Disney bought it um, I kind of felt like I you know it was now or never. Um, I've always wanted to contribute to these genres. So it's um, while people are starting to pay more attention to it again, um, I wanted to throw my name in there. And, and I mean, wanting to do it and actually sitting down to do it are kind of, they can be far apart. I mean, was it really that, it was that strong of an urge that you really, you really busted out and started writing? Yeah. Um, so wanting to do it and then suddenly losing your job of 10 years, um, that could really give you some time. <laughs> um, and that was, and I actually had a, a kind of a good situation to where I was going to be, um, basically I had a six months of unemployment to, um, to fill. Um, so I, I took that time and decided to, I was going to A, write and B, better myself. Um, so I did a lot of uh, classes uh, of um, actually unrelated, just career classes, and then started writing when um, I had free time. Wow, cool. And and then in, in your mind, when you were creating your, when you were putting together your creative universe, um, what what was most important for crafting your story? Was it plot? Was it characters? Was it a unique situation, an invention, uh, you know, whatever? Um, what? Um, no. my, I think I'm more, I'm, 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 I'm extremely a plot-heavy person. Um, so I'm actually, okay. um, what I'm currently working on is just, you know, bringing, uh, bringing the other elements up. Um, so plot and theme are probably my, my biggest um, 
things that I, I, I kind of uh, hit my readers over the head with. Um, uh, and then, and so like I really wanted just to get out the the hardcore messages of uh, I was one of my biggest things. Uh, one of the reasons why I write um, the stories that uh, inspire me is um, I honestly think that science fiction has gone into a, like a I would say it never really grew up in some certain aspects. And then some of it got even more immature than it needed to be. And so I try to throw some more adult themes into um, my writing um, so that uh, if you read it, you, you end up in more uh, of a moral uh, conflict um, and more kind of a paradoxes and catch-22s of morality. Do you want to discuss, uh, you know, describe a little bit about you know, your first work to kind of give people an idea of, you know, of the direction you're talking about, about a little more specificity about about the work that you like to do. Um, yeah, so my first work, Galactic Mandate, A Radical Cause, is um, uh, it's all about, I mean, really the theme of the book is it's a human rights book. Um, it is a space opera, but it's really just, it's really, I mean, if you read the entire book, it's it's asking you, you know, what what it is um, to treat. How how are you supposed to treat other humans? Um, what where is the line? Um, how do we treat them uh, in a good and a bad way? Um, you know, there's uh, uh, there's some some twists, some turns that I'll save for the for the book. But well, it's all about cloning, and uh, it kind of it, I kind of put actual racial. Uh, a uh, thing on there where you have these uh, these clones that are uh, uh, you know they're they are the minority of the galaxy uh, um, and then and then you have like the natural people um, and then um, and then they are subjugating basically the clones and you know what is right in the situation um, it's kind of been explored before but not in the way that I've done it mm-hmm mm-hmm um, well, I mean, that's that's the thing that, you know, I think is the goal of every creator is is to try to do something that's a little bit unique and put their own spin on even common themes and memes, you know. So uh, I'm telling you, you know, it, sometimes if you can execute something well, it's it's it, it can be as good as... Well, as good as anything that that has not been done before. So, um, it it'll be it'll be interesting for people to explore your work to see exactly what your take on the genre is, you know, or on on the yeah. memes and and the various issues that we're talking about. Um, it's you know before the show started, uh, Mr. and I were talking about you know something. I I pan I. Uh, moderated a panel in Boston where we both were at the same time. And one of the things, you know, I had posted up a proof on Facebook about why time travel, the way it's depicted in books, movies, and what have you, is completely wrong. And and so, you know, on the basis of that, two of my friends are now writing stories based upon the fact that the physics that I uncovered and the math, the astrophysics, you know, makes makes time travel just not workable the way you see it on television. 
or you, the way you see it in a movie or in a, read about it in a book. So, it, you know, again, taking common themes and being able to put that twist on it is, is a, always a great idea. Um, well, let me ask you this. What kind of, you know, response did you get for your first work? It must have been enough so that you weren't discouraged to keep going. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yes, um, it's been uh, it's been actually a kind of a mixed response um, uh, from people. Quite honestly, um, people that are not a super fan of the space opera genre love it because they love uh, the those those harder themes. Um, people that are super fan of the uh, just the kind of the um, the old just kind of shoot them up adventure aren't so much because it's kind of more, it's a little bit more nitty gritty than that. So it's a little bit more gritty, I would say. Um, I mean, the story is about uh, Devante, uh, a prince that, you know, he's trying to basically in, in cloning to, uh, 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 to stop, uh, to stop all these you know horrors that are going on in the galaxy, and he uh, starts doing it in a in not the nicest way. Um, so you know you kind of have to root for a, a mean character, kind of a thing, an antihero, and that that kind of um, uh, it's been divisive in my fans, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um... I, you know, again, we, we don't want to give a lot away, but we definitely want people to investigate your work. Um, oh, oh uh, do you have like a website that people can check out your work or, or look at examples of what's going on? Um, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, MR, it's, it's mr-richardson.com. Um, so it's just my full title, uh, mr richardson.com. Um, you can go to that site, um, and then it has all my works and links to um, uh, links to all the titles that I have out right now. Okay, okay. Um, and then uh, someone wants to know: Were the clones enslaved or harvested for organs? Uh, <laughs> Um, they are, they're more of a, no, I don't really go in that direction. There's some other, there's okay, other directions, okay. there's other horrors waiting for you. Nice. All right. And, and do, you know, do you think your stuff is also maybe teen friendly? Do you have an age, you know, a preferred age or a suggested age range for your work? Or do you think it's you know, most readers, preteens, or even you know, teens would uh, would would be able to read it without their parents losing their freaking minds. I would say uh, 17 and above for the first work, and then after that, everything else is. Um, I would say 15 is good. Okay, very cool. I kind of um, everything and, down and so, a little bit after that. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, since we met at at Boscone, I'm a little curious. Uh, do you, you know? Do you do a lot of convention hopping during the year? Um, not this year. I'm trying to focus more on writing. Um, uh, other years, I, I went to. Uh, I usually go to a one or two big ones uh, a year, um, and then I try to uh, go to a local one here and there. Um, there's one in my city, uh, Spokane, um, that I, I'm usually appearing at. 
um, and then I usually kind of pick a random one and go explore the country and explore the sci-fi scene in other parts of the country. Very cool. Um, okay, so uh, you know, one of the things that I ask all of the guests to do is if you are going to go to a convention, you're going to have an appearance someplace, <laughs> excuse me, um, please post it in the blacksciencefictionsociety.com website on the events calendar. So let's say somebody's looking for something to do on a weekend and they happen to see they're going to be where you are. Um, it gives them an opportunity to meet somebody who not only has been interviewed, but who they might be interested in. So just keep that in mind. Um, I'm sorry? I said I can definitely do that, yeah. Yeah. And um, who, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to guess you've at least read other authors. Um, do you have any who stand out who, who you thought were particularly insightful or may have influenced you or, or you find, um, you know, contextually interesting for yourself to read? Do you read for pleasure? Um, yeah, um, and the the one I would say the most uh, I read um, actually the, what I read the most is Star Wars books. I I just love them. Um, one day I would love to you know write for that universe. Um, and right now I'm kind of blanking on uh, let's see the the one that I uh, my favorite author of that um, universe, but it's um, it's the Darth uh, the one that wrote the wrote the Darth Bane books. Uh, forget his name right now, but having a brain fart, but uh, I love that trilogy. Um, I also loved uh, Nice, because he also wrote the uh, Nice of the Old Republic video game, and I love that as well. Um, so I'm a big fan of his. Um, and then, uh, so that's like my biggest influence is, I would say, just actually just random, um, the random Star Wars-ness. Um, I've also met uh, Kevin J. Anderson and... Um, Timothy Vaughn, um, their works were um, uh, influential as well. Hmm. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, and then when you write, let, let's let's go a little bit through your process. You know, are you are you character oriented, or do you think of the situation, the plot lines, the subplots, and things like that, and then populate them? Um, what what is your style for crafting? you know, a story, especially if you think it's going to be, you know, kind of epic and, 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 you know, a brand new idea or variation on a theme that someone else has not thought of, um, which, you know, it's kind of like which came comes first, chicken or the egg kind of question, but still, you have a process, and I'm a little curious about how you do it. Um, there are some things that drive me nuts. People who say, oh, I have an interesting character, so I think I'll do a story about it. And even though the idea drives me nuts, I do respect the fact that people can write like that. I can't do it, but I, mm -hmm. I respect people whose process obviously works. What's it like for you? Uh, I'm an outliner. Um, so I outline um, basically the plot before I start. Um, and then, um, although I like to, I like to create, um, I guess, kind of more of a bare-bones outline to where I can still um, go off in a different direction if I find when I'm doing some kind of pantsing that I, um, uh, I, I find a, a good nugget to like really harp on. Um, so I will, I will still, I will, and, and then usually I'll outline again. So <laughs> I'm more of an outliner than anything. Uh, and well, I mean, as long as the, the, 
I'm sorry, as long as the process works for you, you know, it, it, it is what it is. You know, the, um, I, I can't argue process with people, especially people who get stuff done, because we all think differently. Um, so that, that's obviously pretty cool. Um, what, what it, for you, what's the most exciting part of crafting your story? I would say the most exciting part is when it's when you're really and then when you're really just in a really good flow and you're just hitting like maybe your your third thousandth word of the you know you're hitting like three thousand words in the middle of a story. Um, that's when it really gets exciting because you, the suspense starts to hit you as well. Um, and then even though you know what's going to happen next and you're creating what's going to happen next, you kind of, um, when you actually get sucked in into your, your own story and you wonder, what would happen next? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Um, now, when when you think about being a creative have you run into other creatives? Did you did when you first were starting out? Did you network with people to think you know talk about writing and the process, or did you take any classes in college? I didn't take any. Well, I took I took a couple, but I went to college. Um, well, I'm old enough that I lost Mark Twain on sounds uh, on on Star Search, so you know it was so long ago. Whatever I learned in college um, didn't really matter when I started writing. But but for you, it, it, you know how did how did you hone your craft, or how did you you know where where did that come from? Because you know there are certain fundamentals you have to know to write. Um, was this something that came naturally to you, or or did you have you know, some kind of training in the art? Um, I, I, I basically, I would say every year I take some kind of writing um, class online. Um, now, um, I would say since maybe 2017, I've been doing that. Um, okay. okay. And every, and there's always various different online classes and I've done the master classes. I've done the, um, uh, the, like the Pixar class on um, like Khan Universe Academy, I believe it's called. Um, I've done mm-hmm. all these different uh, cl- courses, and basically I just kind of go from course to course and see, because um, pretty much each one has something unique to add to the experience, and there's always a little nugget of something different that everyone else has done. Um, at NASFIC, I uh, I spoke with, uh, I think it was David Farland, um, the teacher of um, Stephanie Myers and Brandon Sanderson, and he uh, did a little bit of a workshop, and I, I went through that workshop, and that was some really, really good information. Mm-hmm. And and what about um, you know were you were you in groups where you you know you you kind of uh, all critiqued each other because one of the things that I found out with a lot of new writers is um, if they don't spend time with other writers, um, they they often don't understand that criticism is not a repudiation of your self worth. You know, so when people get criticized on on, you know, the habit is to think, oh well he doesn't like my stuff so he doesn't like me or or whatever. Um, and and in order to be a writer you have to develop, I believe you have to develop a thick skin because not everybody's gonna write or excuse me, like everything that you write. Um, how, how did you, you know, do you think your kind of 
well-rounded in that aspect? And, and do you get the fact that criticism is not, you know, necessarily someone saying that, you know, you have, you're unworthy and, you know, on and on and on. Um, how, do you, how do you handle criticism? Um, I, I have a thick skin with a hair trigger. Um, so... <laughs> 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 so, um, if, if that makes sense at all. Um, so some things I just kind of let it bounce off of me, but some things, uh, if I see a, a random feedback somewhere online, I, I might just, <laughs> I kind of go off and then realize, you know what, um, that's, the biggest thing is actually, I think I learned it from one of the master classes, is that um, any kind of criticism of your writing usually is, um, it's not, it's, it's, you're basically you're not supposed to listen to the direct words of the criticism and just, and realize that maybe something didn't work. Um, or it wasn't, maybe it wasn't meant for the person that read it. Um, because quite honestly, um, you know, if you're writing a story where it's just a hoorah bug hunt, um, it's not really meant for the, the person that loves character, you know, uh, a, um, a literary character novel where they're, you know, barely doing anything. Um, and so you got to make sure that, you know, the person was expectations was on the right level. And if they were um, and you just didn't hit it, then that means you just did it. Um, and that helps mm-hmm. you improve later. Um, so there's and. And I've always, and through my, I guess, couple of years of, of writing, I've gotten a lot of advice. And one of the best advice is just, you know, you're supposed to be working on your writing every day. Um, and not literally every day, but uh, unless you have the time to do that. But it's every, you know, every time you're thinking about writing, you should be thinking about getting better. Um, and it's a never-ending cycle because you can always learn a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think that the best writers consider themselves always learning. Um, that they're a work in progress, and and for me, um, I I very early on, I guess decided there's no point in comparing my writing to somebody else's and trying to decide who's more worthy, who did better, for just the same reason that for the precise reason that you mentioned, what you write may not be for everybody, and and you know it it very seldom is. I mean, look at the people out there. You know the the Star Wars people who hate the Star Trek people, and, and you know and and back and forth when obviously there's room for everybody. Um, so I I I like you. I tried to figure out well how do I deal with that, and I did get upset once. I got a like a two star review on Amazon for my first book, and I was pissed for about an hour. I mean, I was really upset. It's like, well, well, how dare you? Everything else is four and five stars. And, you, you know, here's this one guy. And obviously you could tell he was white. And I'm not saying that for anything other than factual nature. <laughs> and um, But then after I thought about it, I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's the perfect review. And that's the review I put up when I go and lecture or if I'm asked to speak about my work. I put that one up. And people go, well, why do you display that one? I said, because people's perspectives are different and not everything is for everybody and and so I had to go through a maturation process to understand that um, and and I think I think it was you know it, it was necessary for me to grow as a person to not take that stuff personally 
So everything that you said, you know, really resonates with me about the whole thing about critique. Um, have you ever done a collaborative work, you know, worked with somebody else to produce something? Um, my last two were collaborations, um, uh, Involuntary Love and um, No More Superhumans. Um, uh, there were just people I met, and then we wanted to do some books together, so I did. And um, so, yeah. Um, and those are kind of interesting because, you know, each person has something to bring to the table. Um, I didn't have too much conflict. Um, but, you know, you just, as long as you guys have, as long as you have a way to settle the, the conflicts that will arise, um, you agree uh, kind of ahead of time of how you're going to, you know, who's going to be more dominant on here, here or there, um, you really can sail through that. Um, it's just really just about, uh, you know, finding someone that you mesh with um, and then uh, just harping on the, the points that you're good at. And, and by and large, the, the process went well for you. You, you, know, you found it to be uh, beneficial or at least a positive experience? Um, yes. I mean, it was very, I mean, beneficial. It's, it's, it's extremely beneficial. Um, um, working with other authors, you get to learn um, a lot. Um, you get to learn um, just, about how, just, just by viewing them as an author and also a reader. Um, because it is a very intimate um, relationship with someone that is a, a reader as well um, and into their mind of what they actually like. Um, you probably won't get that really when – I don't think there's any other time when I've got so much almost raw data of this is what readers want, this is what they like, this is what uh, – you know, this is what works um, when, except for when I'm actually collaborating with another author because it's just such a direct connection and it's, um, you could see, you know, how you're also working on the possibilities of your story of which direction things will go. And um, so you can see the, the directions that you could go that may not work, that may not work for people like this. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I, I have only done a couple collaborative works. Um, I, I like the process because I learn from other people. I learn from the way they think. Um, I've learned an enormous amount of, um, uh, of technique and, and how to think and, and process and stuff by doing this show and interviewing as many people as I have because you know, the, the differences in technique are legion. Um, and, and again, that goes back to my saying, you know, I'm always going to be a work in progress. I don't think I'm ever going to sit there and go, you know, whatever I write, I'm good at what I am. I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at whatever level I am, and this is perfect. I, I just don't think I'm going to reach that level, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, you know, it, it, it is... You never, you're never supposed to, because at that at that level, things become boring. There's nothing to learn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, I'm I'm presuming that you're looking, like uh, looking toward what what most authors are looking toward, the point where your writing sustains you, and you don't have to do other kinds of work. Are you, are you know, do you have another job? Are you close to that 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 magic point, that that brass ring that we all are looking for, or, or, or you know, where do you think you are in that process or in that timeline, and not necessarily by date, but 
but do you think you're closer to it? You got a ways to go, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how how do you describe it? I would say I have a ways to go. Um, I have a ways. I have a lot more of sitting down and just powering through some writing sessions um, to get to that point. Um, the best way to say that. Um, there's always the. Um, you know, the Internet out there that, that loves to say that, you know, you've got to write, you know, 30, 40 books before before you'll ever get to that point. And statistically, it's I think most authors that are really sustaining themselves are, you know, they're they're pretty high up there when it comes down to how many books. And and really all that means is basically it's it's just practice. It's, you know, if you've done, uh, you know, a basketball player shoots they practice by the time they would ever reach the NBA. They've already gone through what, like two, three minor leagues before they ever got to the to the professional league. Um, so mm-hmm. I would say, if, as an NBA analogy, um, I'm finishing up my high school and getting you know getting in my mid of my college career. <laughs> okay, no, that that's very descriptive. Um, I here's how I describe it. You know, I used to coach tennis at at a lot of different levels. Um, before and after I went and played competitively, uh, um, you know, I played in high school and college. And and when I would coach, you know, especially younger kids, they go, well, well, William, how do you, how do you, or or I usually I would say call me uh, Master Hayashi or some kind of really egomaniacal name. But no, I'm just kidding. They would go, how do we get to hit balls the way you do? You make it look so easy. You hardly move. You do this, that, the other thing. And so I gather them all in. Okay, all right, guys, just this once. I will tell you the secret. Okay, so everybody, because I don't want everybody to hear it, you know, but here is the secret. And they'd all be looking at me with like this really cool anticipation on their faces. I go, the way you get to hit, the way I hit, and to make it that easy and to win all the time is you have to hit a million balls. And there'd be a pause, and then, you know, one time I caught a racket to the shin, um, but you know, they, they, you know, as much as they hate to hear that, that's it. It's like what you said. You have to write. Uh, 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 you have to write all the time. You have to hone your craft. Although now I'm thoroughly depressed because you're talking about, you know, for you to get your name out there and stuff like that. You know, you should be looking at, uh, uh, you know, twenty, thirty books. And since I've only written seven, I'm I'm going to be. I'll probably be crying myself to sleep tonight, thinking about how far I have to go. So so thank you, Mr. For that. I mean, I really appreciate it when you come and you you know you kick me in the pants like that. Um, but at, oh, let me ask you this: Have you only written like novel length uh, stories, or have you done some short stories, things like that, that people can can get that quick hit of Mr. Um, I haven't really done, I've only done novel length, um, but my novels are kind of shorter. Um, they're usually around 50,000 words. Um, but yeah, so I've only, I've only done that kind of length, which, uh, um, I'm thinking about doing some shorter works, but not yet. Okay. No, I was just curious, you know, where you are in the process. Um, and how long ago was it that you published your first book? Um, it was in September-ish of 2018, so about, I mean, I guess a year and several months. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, that's pretty cool. When you think in terms of, you know, the fact you're talking about, well, I've got four books to talk about, and you're, you know, you're only coming into like your second year, third year, whatever, fourth year, whatever, 
that's still pretty prolific. And, and it does sound like you like the process. What's the best part for you when you start slinging those words around? <laughs> um, well, the process, uh, the best part of the process is really when um, the story kind of comes together, um, when you might have an idea that you've been picking at in your brain and you're like, well, I want, you know, this kind of invasion to happen, but why it doesn't make sense now. And then, or I want this space battle to happen and it doesn't make sense now. But when you have all the elements kind of come together and you're like, you know what, that was good. That's a great scene. Um, that scene <laughs> really just works. That's, that's the best part of the process. Cause you can, um, cause you know, you forget that even as a writer, um, you get to enjoy the, the, uh, your product as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, do you, you know, you mentioned some of the master groups that you belong to and, and, and those kind of, do you have kind of like an ongoing relationship where people do critique your work or do you, like for me, I have beta readers. So I'll finish a manuscript and turn it over to, excuse me, um, two or three people and they're all different, you know, so that I could get their different perspectives on the manuscript. Um, do you is that part of your refinement process? Uh, yes, I mean every uh, author should probably have some kind of beta reader in there. Um, my beta reader is my girlfriend. She's a very uh, prolific reader. Um, always has a book in her hand, so um, she's actually really good at critiquing and. Um, uh, and telling me some some spots where there's plot holes or um, which are, there's almost always a you know a plot hole where you're like oh I completely completely didn't see that I left that door open and everyone would have known exactly where everything was at the, you know in the in the, in the, in the story uh, but yeah the, she really helps me with those uh, oh oopsie moments and whatnot <laughs> yeah and and you, of course you you give her fifteen percent of what you earn as you know having fulfilled that purpose, right? <laughs> I, I think she gets a little bit more than that in an uh, earning percentage of this living here. <laughs> Where I, I see. Goes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, it sounds like you enjoy what you're doing, which is great. Obviously, you know, everybody wants to have a job that they really like, you know, and, and, Creatives, in some ways, are more fortunate than, you know, in, in certain ways, you know, you, you talk about a nine-to-five wage earner or whatever, it's, it's, going, you know, it's going to be different for them, especially if you're not the boss. If you're not the boss, you know, there's always trials and tribulations about that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so when, when you look at the, when, you know, how, I guess what I'm wondering is how, how drawn are you, how determined are you to get to that point where your writing is financially sustainable and that's the coolest part about that? I mean, do you, do you see that as a really big uphill climb or is it something that you're just, you're just assuming, hey, this is going to happen. I'm going to make this happen. Well, I would say the, um, the biggest part about the financial sustainable part about it is um, – I wanted to happen more for the uh, more for the art form of it than for me. Um, I mean, I would love it to happen just so I could produce more work, uh, not so that I could buy more cars, um, kind of a thing. <laughs> um, and and that's and 
and that's the beauty of it for me is that I just I want to produce more work and not and it's not really about uh, I want I want the financials to come in um, as proof that people are liking the work um, but when it really comes down to money itself it is not my biggest motivator yeah, it's it's like that for me. What money represents to me, let's say I had a big score or something like that, is it represents the freedom to do my work without having to hustle, you know, my side IT job. Well, it's not my side job, it's my main job because it sustains me. But, you know, for me to sit down one day and have a check in my hand and go, you know, this represents really the first step in not having to get porno off of an executive's laptop before he turns it back into the IT department or, or you know, whatever stupid thing somebody has done, and you can't call well, them stupid when they do it. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. A lot of my clients have, have, have given me, you know, a nice roadmap on the Internet for where they go for that kind of entertainment. One guy, <laughs> I'll just tell this real quick. One guy, he was about 70 years old, and he was the CEO of his company, and one of the, I guess someone from another department came in his office to get something signed, and there was whatever on his screen, and that got mm -hmm. reported to HR, and then HR called me and said, hey, can you come and do a survey on this laptop? And so mm -hmm. they had, had me like hiding out in an office until everybody went home, and he stayed late. And then once he was gone, then I had to kind of break into his laptop, do a, you know, look for pictures, stuff, find out where he went on the Internet. And this dude was like 70 years old, and he was hot on Russian brides. I don't oh, – a brother goodness. who really was hot. Yeah, uh, a 70-year-old a, a, a black man, very well off, but, man, I – I, if I wanted a Russian bride, I could ask him, and he'd tell me the best place to go get me one. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to have to do that anymore. You know, this October <laughs> would mark the, uh, the 50th year I've been in the IT field, and I'm tired. I'm tired. I know mm -hmm. I don't sound it, and, you know, hopefully I don't look that old, but if you do anything for 50 years, that's a long time to have been doing it. And I really mm -hmm. want to get to the point Oh, somebody put it in there. They want a link for the Russian brides, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, but but I I'm I really love writing now. I love crafting stories, and the best part about crafting a story, and I, I admit, I, I part of it's ego, but the other part is a validation of my work. Is when other people come to me, when readers come to me and say, "Hey, excuse me, I really liked." this story, I like this book, I like this series or whatever, and that, right now, that is the coolest thing possible for me. Um, and, and again, the validation makes it all worthwhile. I mean, don't you think that way too? Yes, and really it is um, one of my, my biggest uh, prize moments was when I was actually um, talking to one of, the, one of my friends of my friends that had re re read my book and they just loved it and they just loved um and they actually kind of could see exactly what i was getting at and what i was trying to the theme of without you know without me blatantly telling them what the theme of the book was um they they understood and that was just extremely validating um 
and really when it comes down to it um, the, the money um, the money aspect of the books is basically I always look at money as motivation units um, the more motivation units I can get um, the more motivated I will be to write more um, and it's going to be a um, you know self-reinforcing cycle um, so I don't look at it as purchase, you know, as something that I purchase things with. I look at it as things that help motivate uh, uh, my actions. Um, and then that's, you know, that's why, you know, that's why I think an author should want more money is because they're getting more, uh, I would say, uh, certificates of motivation to write more. Yeah. yeah. I Although, I will give you an example that will probably knock your socks off when it happens to you. One day I went to a Walgreens, and it was not the usual Walgreens I go to get a, a prescription refilled. And so mm -hmm. I'm standing in line. Then I get up to the counter, and, you know, they say, okay, what's your birthday? And I gave my birthday. And they go, what's your name? I gave my name. And, and the woman said, William Hayashi, the author? Oh, man. Can you imagine how I felt when she said that? I mean, I didn't know this woman from Adam. I, I, I had, you know, hardly ever go to this Walgreens. But that was like the coolest thing. I mean, that, I, I'll remember it forever. You know, that was uh, 2011, November 7th, 2011, and in a Walgreens. And obviously, I, I, you know, it made an impression because that's why I remember the date and, and the time and the location. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm, I'm like you. Money represents the freedom to be able to do the writing that I want to do. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Maybe, maybe some other creative things. Maybe, maybe write a movie script or something like that. But again, it's it all comes boils down to being able to craft stories that other people find interesting and find of value. Um, mm -hmm. Have you thought about having? You know, are you looking to have your works produced even in another medium? You know, some people go transmedia. Okay, I've got a book. I'm going to make a graphic novel. I might do a comic book, and I'm going to try to get a cartoon or a movie made. Um, have, you, have you put those kind of ideas in motion, or are they sitting in the back of your head to, to expand oh, your, the scope of your works? Yeah, they're definitely sitting in the back of my head because I really do want, um, I really do like um, visual medias as well. Um, and I'm more of a, and, and some of my history is I do have a, a, a associate's degree in graphic design. Um, so especially with the first novel, there's like some, there's some art in there. Um, I do have, um, all my website art is actually was art that was created for the book. Um, so for the original book. Um, so, and my are, if I do say myself, do say so myself, they're they're usually beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, I am more of a. I do want to do some other projects. Uh, I'm kind of sitting. They're on the back burner right now, but eventually they will be in the forefront. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they, are they kind of a, along the same lines of the same genre? Are you going to branch out? Um, what are are you parked kind of where you are right now for the time being because this is your 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 sweet spot? Um, right now, um, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of sitting on the the edge of being a, a general story storyteller, or if I should just uh, you know triple down on the. Um, the space wrapper. Uh, well, I already already have like three outlines um, I'm working on right now for um, uh, 
a prequel and two sequels because um, I really want to, you know, there's really a, there's a story burning that needs to be told. Um, but when I get done with that, it's going to be, um, I think I have some, I usually have these really crazy dreams and they make the greatest stories. So, <laughs> uh, like, I just have, like, Hollywood movies for dreams sometimes and it's just very crazy. Um, and, and I just, or, or sometimes where I'm just driving along, I have, um, you know, just random ideas where I'm like, that needs to be made. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and are you one of those people who, like, do you sleep next to a pad of paper or something like that? <laughs> uh, I wake up and find one. <laughs> I, uh, I honestly have, like, notebooks all over my, my dang house, but and they're all filled with random ideas. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, I am a very good, uh, very big uh, dream journaler or whatnot. <laughs> And do you, you know, that, I, I get my most vivid dreams when I take a nap. And I'm not going to lie, you know, I'm, right now I'm sitting in my office and I am uh, nine or ten feet away from my couch where I do some of my best dreaming. And sometimes, you know, whatever's vivid in there, some, sometimes they're so vivid they're almost like it's like something real happened. And I, you know, I, I do get up, I come and I type up, you know, whatever I, I was thinking or whatever I thought was the most salient part. And and I I'm a lot of that stuff I'm gonna revisit. Some of it is just crazy because I did you know, I was part of the drug culture of the seventies. So, you know, you have to be careful what you think is good and what, what is just craziness. Um mm-hmm. and uh, uh but but it's still you know, you don't know I don't know where in my imagination that stuff is produced, where it's manufactured. Do you have a good handle on your creative process? I mean, do you know the source? Are you are you really in touch with it? Because it sounds like you get inspiration all the time. Uh, I kind of do, and it's like the dreams, and those are just one side of it. Because a lot of the times, I'm just um, I'll be just enjoying other media, and then I'm, I I don't just passively enjoy it. I usually question. It, uh, I question um, uh, the dynamics. Am I like, uh, is this just a capitalist propaganda video, or is this an actual great uh, video <laughs> kind of a thing? <laughs> um, and so that kind of leads down um, to a lot of unique opinions, and, and those unique opinions usually lead to unique ideas. Um, so when it comes down to it, I believe I have – a thousand great ideas, and I'm just working on the execution is really the only thing that uh, holds me back. Is that, uh, if, it was, if there was a contest of who had the, the, the most and best ideas, I think I would be, uh, I'd be already up there. <laughs> oh, well, that's kind of good. I mean, that, that you not only have the ideas, but you also have the awareness of their value. Um, you know, some people have one and not the other. And and that's kind of an unbalanced, weird-ass thing, you know, that, that goes on. And then there's some people who have no sense whatsoever. Hey, uh, William, I know you've written a lot of books. Um, I got an idea for a book, and I'm wondering, could you help me? And I go, well, yeah, I, I try to help out anybody I can. What's the book about? Well, the book is about my life. And I go, well, what, you know, let me just ask you this. What makes you think that your life is interesting enough or rich enough that other people will get something out of it. Well, it's, it's really interesting to me, you know, and I think other people are going to really like it. 
and 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 really get something out of it. And meanwhile, in the back of my mind, it's, well, I don't think so because, you know, just standing here, you're boring the hell out of me. So, uh, <laughs> but I can't say that. I'm, <laughs> but people think just because I do it that, that I would do it with them or for them or something else. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're going to be a real writer, just like you, a, a writer writes. You go and you write. You start with your ideas. You, you start percolating those. You, you write them down. You refine them. You, you bounce them against the wall. You have other people tear them down so that you could rebuild them better. There's a process. And there are so many people who want to take that shortcut. It's like all those kids who want to know how to hit the balls the way I hit the balls, but they don't want to mm-hmm. hit a million balls, you know? Okay. <laughs> so I got, I got nothing. I try not to be an ass about it, but I'm afraid I'm, I just grew up too damn sarcastic. But I've learned, <laughs> I, I never tell somebody you're boring the hell out of me about something like that because that would be rude. But again, I have my own self-awareness. I'm a rocking chair in a porch being, from being away from that guy who tells you get the hell off my lawn. So I think self-awareness is good for the creative process, and I also think it's very, very good for self-preservation. Well, I have a lot of advice for, uh, I would say, writers that are um, a couple of steps uh, before I, where I am right here, um, that precede me. Um, you know, if you've got that story where it's like uh, people would love my uh, life or that's what my story is about, find out what is it about your life that's unique and who would it be unique to? Um, because quite honestly, if you're the, the most wild thing you've ever done is go on a bender and can't remember what you did last mo- uh, the, the night before, um, you're not going to sell that to uh, the Hells Angels. Um, they're they're going to think that's the mildest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> but you might sell that to, you know, a few people in Harvard. Um, so <laughs> you got to figure out, um, figuring out your target market is about, you know, that's about 50% of the battle. Is figuring out who would like your story um, and how is it your story unique? Uh, because those people that come up to you, they think there's something unique about their story. Um, they just don't know how to articulate it. Um, and until you figure out how to articulate that and how to find the uniqueness of your story, no one's going to buy it. No one, want, no one wants to read it. Uh, no, one, no one even knows why they should, they should give a, you know, a, a, a care about this story that you, 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 know, you, have, you know, have floating around in your brain that you can't even bring up to the page. Dude, you are far more generous than I am because <laughs> most times I look at these people and I go, you, you, that's what you're bringing to the table? You know, here's the thing. I think most people, especially people with a, a healthier, healthy ego where they have ego far in excess of their talent, I, I truly think that they think that what they've got going on is so unique and so remarkable that, that, you know, they, they should be the center of attention and things like that. And, you know, I, I thought about, you know, I think about that issue myself. And, yes, I like a certain amount of, I, it's not exactly notoriety, but, I, you know, like I, I, I'm known for doing this show. I've been doing this for, like, over eight years. A lot of people know that, but I don't think that defines me. You know, I, I, yes, I've written books and short stories, I think those are 
maybe a little more definitive uh, uh, indication of what kind of character I have or what kind of imagination. But I would rather have my work, <laughs> excuse me, my work lauded and my work appreciated far more than any level of celebrity that I could have. Unless, of course, it gets to that Fifty Shades of Grey celebrity. Yeah, I'd love to have that lightning strike my ass and make that kind of money. But again, when you look at what that woman produced, it's a crap-ass book. But it's mommy porn, so it got popular pretty quick. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I really want, I want the respect of my peers, and I want the respect of people who actually do read and appreciate my work. And maybe, maybe that's too much to ask for, or, that's, or that is the ultimate goal I should be working for. I haven't reached that harmonious balance yet because I'm still a work in progress. How yeah, do you yeah. see that? Um, I see that as uh, that's very true. Everyone wants to, everyone wants respect of their peers. Um, and if you're putting your heart and soul into a novel, any kind of work, any kind of um, creative work, um, that's you know that's what you need. Um, that actually uh, very timely um, because you know you have the the Oscar so white. Um, a lot of people were like, why, why would you even care about having an Oscar? Um, the reason why those people care about having an Oscar is because that is an industry um, a reward. Um, it is made by those people for those people. Um, and so they would li- love to be recognized by their peers. Um, and so mm-hmm. that is why it's, they're excluded just for, from, by the color of their skin that it hurts. Um, because those are their friends, those are their um, people that they love, excluding them. Um, that's why it hurts. Uh, so when it comes to in the author world, the same, same thing goes. Uh, we want to be recognized by our peers, uh, people that we know, people we respect. Um, and there is, a, there, is some val- there is validation in that, um, validation in the fact that the novel that you spent – you know, five years working on, well, didn't turn out a complete turd. Um, <laughs> it came out something that is actually respectable. Um, and everyone's journeying towards that point is going to be different. And also what you actually do is going to be different. Um, you know, if you want to make the mommy porn, you, you can make the best mommy porn there is. Um, you know what I mean? You don't have to settle for, you know, a second best. Um, you know, if you want to make a better version of Fifty Shades of Grey, there's no, there's no, nothing wrong with that. You just need to go out there and do it. Um, a lot of that is just doing something with intention. Um, you have to, if you intend to make a book that's going to be mass market, that uh, may not be the most character developed book there is, um, then do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, if that's what sells, do it. Um, and if that's what makes you happy, go ahead and do that. Um, but when you, but a lot, a lot of things, that's why when for every director that makes a Marvel movie, they make an art house movie. Um, because that is where they put their skills to use and they want to get an award for how artsy they can be. Well, yeah, I, I guess you could call it artsy, but also I, I think there's a, you know, I, I see more of a distinction between um, work of quality or, or really outstanding creative work and work that is designed to be commercially viable. Um, 
and and I know that that makes me an elitist snob, and and I'm okay with that because if I if I look at it in those terms, um, like I suppose if I wrote space opera books and and they were along the lines, and you know I I mean no disrespect to anybody along Star Wars or Star Trek or or any of the or or vampires or zombies, any of the popular genres. I, I suppose I could be really successful at it because, you know, I read a lot, but somehow I would feel better about, I feel better about myself because what I work on is trying to craft stories that have value, that engage the reader on a level more than, um, dear penthouse, I never thought something would happen to me like this, but when the woman brought, uh, rang my bell to deliver the pizza, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, what kind of pizza? But it's, <laughs> well, not only that, how, how was she dressed? You know, what, was she there in 30 minutes or less? You know, there's a lot of questions in that story that need to be answered. Um, but, 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 you, you know, I'm, Am I putting too fine a point on it? Am I being too elitist in trying to separate the two, you know, all going for commercial success or going for critical acclaim? Um, I, I, I suppose they can overlap, but they just don't very often. Um, you know, That's the truth. Man. Commercial success and critical acclaim, um, usually, usually people focus on one or the other when they're writing or producing or making some kind of creative craft because um, there's a lot of things that are, uh, cr you know, just, you know, they're uh, commercial bait and then they're also critic bait. Um, the best is when you can easily make, I would say, something that can blend both um, that gets, that's the, that's the goal of, I would say, anyone that's creative is so, someone wants to make something that's very commercially viable that the critics love. Um, and that, that is a lot harder than it sounds. Um, and I, I believe that's what entire genres and industries are trying to do is the entire industry is trying to become, you know, commercially viable and get critics to say that, sci-fi books are the best that there is or romance books are the best that there is or whatever literary fiction of this kind is the best that there is is because we're all trying to uh bring the two together uh find a way to bring the two together and make something uh that's just a masterpiece okay all right that's good because it kind of swings around to something that i want to ask you you know when you talk about critical acclaim and, and versus commercial success, um, uh, uh, black authors of science fiction, fantasy, and horror have traditionally been locked out of mainstream publishing houses because the excuse was, oh, the interest is too niche, and you know there's just not enough readers out there who can sustain, you know, uh, who can make this commercially viable for us, so we're going to have to pass. Okay, mm -hmm. and and now, fortunately, uh, the the digital environment has has lowered the bar to publishing books, comics, movies, uh, TV shows, things like that, and so people are bypassing the traditional um, um, media powerhouses to go on and do their own self-publishing of their work, whatever it is, whether, you know. So let me ask you this. When you think in terms of your writing, um, 
is you know is race important in terms of story content and you know do you do that because those are the stories that are interesting to you or do you do that in defiance of you know conventional wisdom which was kind of like the starting point for me I had never read any or seen any stories about middle class or upper middle class black folks who who went to school who had two parent homes who had all of the things that are what we consider standard Americana and again I, I mentioned the big pushback in the Cosby show where you had a black lawyer who married a black um, doctor who had teenage kids with white problems you know and and everybody pushed back on that at the beginning and said oh that would never happen this is so unrealistic and then it became the most popular TV show in you know in in the history of TV so you know when you write um, and uh, is is race important in the for the characters or for the the crafting of the story some sort of sociological issue surrounding race and is that important because of your race or how does that fit in because traditionally it's not seen as a I don't want to say profit center but it's not seen as particularly profitable from the mainstream publishers Race is always important in America. Um, we come, uh, due to colonialism, uh, we come from a culture where it's just prominent and it's always there. Um, it is, a lot of times you might look at yourself and wonder, like, how much culture do I really have um, as an American? And there is a lot there that you know how to navigate um, that would make a pretty amazing story if you can put it from an alien's perspective of all the stuff that we do on a daily basis that has race in it. Um, so when it comes to my own stories, um, race is a very big factor. Um, it's, it's, I kind of leave it in there um, for no spoiler wise uh, for people to find on them for themselves. Um, but it is actually, you know, one of the biggest factor of, of most of my stories. Um, there's always, I always try to represent more than I would say, I, 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 I love a diversity of more than I, I usually see. Um, there's more races than just white people and black people, uh, so I try to throw more in there. Um, but it, it is, it is a, a very much a part of my writing. Um, um, and, but I also don't want it to be token. Um, so I don't want characters to just be tokens, and I don't want race to be a factor of the Hollywood level where um, they might just, you know, uh, they just racial flip a movie or racial flip a book, and it's completely different. It's it's not. Um, I like, you know, I want I want stories that actually where race makes sense in them. Sure. It, you're, you're, it's not it's not like a tokenism like you know the the two uh, main white characters have the black friend or whatever that that's sort of right. the contrivance of injecting uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, diversity you know as a oh big D diversity oh yes our film is diverse because we have uh, two black characters and uh, and we have the wisecracking Hispanic or you know whatever stereotype that they throw in there to try mm -hmm. to justify that um, 
and and that's and just not a part of your work. Your work, you you. I'm sorry. I actually think a lot of stories recently, um, movies, TVs, books, uh, have fallen flat because you can almost see it as it almost feels like a Hollywood diversity AI has told someone you need to gender flip this character, you need to racial flip this character, and it doesn't feel genuine. Back in the 90s, it felt like there was a lot more genuine diversity. Um, I remember when watching DS9 and it had a black uh, a black captain uh, of the space station, and I was just amazed, and that, like, it wasn't even a big deal. It wasn't really, like, a huge deal in the story. It was just, this is the way it is. He's, he he earned it. Um, that is just amazing, and it should be more. I, I want to kind of go back to more of the '90s style genuine diversity versus the, um, I would say, 2020 style, where it feels very forced, and it doesn't even sometimes it doesn't even make sense to the story itself. Sometimes because they just like, well, you know, why are all these characters that and it doesn't even really, you know, they wouldn't even have these kind of problems, <laughs> kind of a thing, uh, if you know what I mean. Well, I and I think that the 2020 version of diversity was driven by those two studies that show that movies with diverse characters make more money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of like when Marvel partners with um, uh, Marvel and whoever the production company partner with a Chinese production company and, and you know, they'll put in a character in Doctor Strange or whatever, this, that, or the other thing in order to appeal to that particular audience or a certain demographic or a certain race. Um, and, and it's basically born of money. Now, normally I would dog somebody for doing something like that and, and really cut them down, but Still in all, that means that there are more people of color, more women, more more non-traditional roles and non-traditional genders and what have you are getting more work, you know, and those characters are showing up more because of money, but still I'm just happy that they're, they're being represented. Um, in, in my writing, I wrote about race because uh, I wrote it from a perspective of these people have never existed in America's lexicon. I want to talk about them. I, I grew up in a middle-class family. You know, I grew up in, in the University of Chicago neighborhood. So I'm, I'm not, you know, there, I'm, there's no street hood in me. Yeah, I was in a gang, but it was a silly little gang. And, and, you know, I'm not an athlete. I'm not a rapper. I'm certainly not Oprah. You know, I'm, I'm none of those things, and, not, and none of those people grew up with me. But I wanted to write stories that had, recognizable people that that I had grown up with because they represent a, a broad swath of the or what used to be middle class America. Um, and and so yes it's you know the story is written from you know kind of a, a black perspective and about racial issues in America, but I didn't want to do it as some sort of angry screed. I wanted to, to you know to write the story based upon the actual conditions that that black folks face in America. So that was important to me. Even and and of course it confuses people because if they don't know what I look like, well no, even when they do look know what I look like, you know they go well, what is this Cuban Puerto Rican dude 
doing with a Japanese last name, writing black books, you know. And I figured, fine, you know, throw throw as many curves as possible because I also don't like being stereotyped. And I'm, I'm sure you probably don't either. Nobody wants to be stereotyped. And, and I, like you, I still want to be lauded for the quality of my stories, me as a storyteller, rather than, oh, yeah, that Japanese writes uh, these books about black folks, you know, that sort of thing. I don't want to have to live with that. Well, I think in Hollywood they would call you racially androgynous. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. They call, us, they call me Blasian in Hollywood. I just found that oh. out. I was talking to some people, and they said, oh, you know what they call people like you in Hollywood? I said, what? They, they call them Blasians, you know, black Asians. And I'm thinking, oh, well, if I get out there and tell them I'm a – yeah, yeah. If I get out there and tell them I'm a Japanese and look them right in the eye, what are they going to say? <laughs> well, come on. That's not that's not how you're supposed to refer to things nowadays. <laughs> oh, I'm Although sorry. Always, uh, go ahead. As we, the black community, we always have, we do have a problem of having uh, one too many uh, official ways of referring to ourselves: uh, Negro, uh, colored, people of color, black, African American. Like, which one are we? And it really depends on the day of the week, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, <clears throat> excuse me, do you, if you look at what people are called, what black folks are called, or whatever we want to identify ourselves as, the, when you look at what term is used by someone else, there is usually a financial hook attached to why they chose that term. And, you know, I sit here going, how sad is that? But, you know, that's just America. <clears throat> There's a financial basis for nearly everything that happens in this country. It's not based upon what's right or wrong anymore. It's based upon, you know, what, uh, a greed, avarice, you know, whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of, that's kind of a, dif- a difficult pill to swallow, knowing that, you know, you're – you know, your existence as being non-white, um, in, in certain ways, your financial existence hinges upon how people, you know, what people think you are. Are you going to be uppity? Are you going to be this, that, or the other thing? So I'm, I'm just happy I've got a Japanese last name and I defy stereotype. That's a lot of fun for me. I like poking people about that <laughs> because that's the kind of ass I am. Um, well, um, I Let me it, um, because there's, uh, that's the thing about our culture is um, kind of the way you refer to a different race. Um, there's so much information that's conveyed. If someone, if I see an article and they refer to us as blacks, I already know that's a that's a right winger. That's uh, what you call it, uh, going to go off some range, you know, basically halfway a Nazi tangent. Um, I can just tell from there, and this, I can move on um, just by the sure. there's so much that is conveyed um, by certain certain words uh, because in our hyperpartisan um, environment. Um, uh, you can you can literally tell certain things by the way people talk, um, and not so much about what they're talking about, just how they are talking. You can tell political affiliation, uh, class. You can tell how much they make almost uh, just just by you know just by having you say a random sentence, basically. Yeah, the the nuances are not hard to read, are they? 
<laughs> no, no, no. And then like, and that's, it's an interesting thing because I feel like uh, that's one of those things that non-white people notice a lot more than white people, I would say, is because um, we have, we have to be so attuned um, to that in our surroundings. Um, sometimes it, it actually matters on your safety of, you know, who is filling up the, you know, the room that you're in. Um, how are they referring to you and other people like you? Um, can tell you, you know, a lot about, um, is this even a safe environment for me to be in right now? Um, and a lot of, a lot, in, and a lot of people that are not, in, not a people, a people that are uh, a white would not know that because they don't have that experience. They have other experiences that I probably don't relate to, um, but that's something that they usually cannot relate to. Sure, sure, yeah, and and, and you, know, let, you know this kind of turns a, a, a question around on you. What is the most fun part about you know the racial aspects of you know the when you craft a story? Um, is it the realism? Is it uh, is it juxtapositioning unusual perspectives on race? I mean. Um, you know, I know it's sort of like a necessity because it's part of your, you know, your creative makeup. And, and you know, when, you, when you're crafting that story, what's the best part? Is it the authenticity? Um, what, what do you get the most, I guess, the most fulfillment and maybe even joy doing? It's the uh, flipping things on their head and um, really, really making it so that, uh, you know, you can have someone have an epiphany or just realize they never thought of it that way or bringing something to light. Um, like the, the fact that maybe they think when they think of black people, they always think of poor. So if you make a story where all the black people are rich, it just completely switches everything on them. And that's fun because you can manipulate it so much to, we have so many ingrained stereotypes and um, ingrained things racially that when you just break it, it is so much fun. It's like kicking down a house of Legos. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, well, you, every time you think of a, uh, an Asian person, you always think that they're getting straight A's. Uh, this person, you know, if you flip it and make it so that you have a character that maybe is Asian, but yet not the stereotype, the exact opposite of the stereotype, or even just flipping one part of the stereotype on its head where they maybe fit everything except for this one little part um, and you don't know and the reader doesn't know how to deal with that. That is, that's the fun part. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, obviously finding the joy in, in your creativity is I think the key to successful writing because if you enjoy it, other people get the, you know, that, I think if you enjoy crafting your stories, other people, that's conveyed to your readers. <clears throat> um, and so, uh, again, people like to read good stories that are well-crafted and, and that, obviously, the, the author put some time and effort into. So, again, it, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling, um, uh, a positive attribute of the of the uh, the process. If you were going to, and I don't know if you do, do you do any community outreach to younger people, you know, to kids or anything like that? Um, oh, boy. Um, you know, I haven't really thought about that because, well, if you go to a convention, I'm like the youngest person there. So. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I wasn't asking it to put you on the spot at all. You know, I was just curious because if if you were given, you know, if somebody called you and gave you the opportunity, okay, we're we're having this uh, this seminar all day on the creative process at this high school, and we would like for you to come in and talk about the creative process. You know what? What kinds of ideas, what are the things that you would want to focus on to get them interested, to open up their creativity, and to encourage them to, you know, to, to at least somehow take a creative path that you've already done? You know, do you have, you know, do you, do you, do you think you have ideas that can be conveyed to them that are going to be, you know, compelling? I mean, I would say that the most compelling part is uh, open up their mind. Um, and also, I would actually say the best part, if I was going to do something like that, I would probably listen the most. Because um, usually, if you listen to younger people, um, they're so used to not being listened to um, that they really appreciate it. And then they'll open up. And then you can deliver what, they, what they're missing. Because um, everyone's missing something in their life. So you're going to deliver what they're missing, and you can let them know what writing um, could fulfill in their lives that they may not have now. Um, but that is usually that's what they, that is the method I take when I am approached by a group of younger people, is I try to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just because, yeah, they – if they're, let's say, if they're in their teens or whatnot, they're just used to their parents just brushing off their ideas. Um, they're used to people just brushing brushing them off and not, and just brushing everything that they think off as immaturity when they actually do have ideas that are fully formed and developed. Um, you just have to listen and know what to look for, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, I forgot to ask you before we were talking about race. Um, how how does gender play in your stories? Is it is it something that you you know kind of like you you do with the race that you like to turn it on its head? It, you know, have you gotten to that point where where gender has been you know uh, uh, at least an important, if not leading factor in the crafting of and the telling of a story? Um, I would say. Um the first two, I, I really love playing. I do play with gender a little bit. Um, I do like playing with it and and um, playing with the expectations. Um, you can really, um, really just turn things on their head, and um, I think that's one, one of one of one of one of my main themes in there is that you get to you get to think about gender, and I get to play with what will it be in the future kind of a thing or in a very science fiction-y world, um, you know, what what gender norms can I play with? Mm-hmm. And uh, have you heard of the, what is it? Is it the Bechtel, uh, Bechtel, I forget what it is. Um, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, it's the Bechtel, test where, you know, did you put a woman in there merely because she was a woman um, to talk about male issues and things like that, or or is this oh, a fully you're talking about character? When, uh, two ladies talking to each other, yes. Uh, I've heard of that test. Exactly. Um, I, I guess I don't really use it on my own work because um, for me it's just, uh, I just, like, like I said before, where it's, I, I try not to force or make it more arbitrary. I try to make it more organic. 
um, and more representational of what it is in, in, I would say, an average person's life or, or for the characters. Um, you know, what should I expect? Like, uh, um, there's a thing of having, you know, I guess a diverse, uh, gender diverse cast, um, but it really, would it make sense for like an all boys school kind of a thing? Like, you know, you don't want to character flip just for the fun of character flipping. You want to make it more organic. Yeah, and, and it has to make sense. You know, like we were talking about, you know, the black friend in the movie or, you know, the whatever stereotype they want to put in there just so that they could say they had some diversity in in the work. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I, I was just curious. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm, I want to make my women as representative of real women, you know, as representative as possible. And, and I pay attention, you know. <clears throat> um, and and it, that's my, kind of important. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, with my female characters, um, like you said, you want to make it as representative of real women as possible. I've noticed that um, I would say uh, media has kind of gone in one direction with it, and I'm kind of seeing there's, there's a lot of missing types of, uh, I would say, uh, people when it comes to gender-wise where I, I notice there's a lot of types of women that aren't in stories. Um, you're only getting the um, the like over over amped up, you know, tomboy girl, and I'm like, there's different there's different types of women out there, um, and they need to have some representation too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it's kind of tough because if you're if you're telling a story, you know, let's be honest, there's there's only so many characters that you can put in it, but Here's the thing, you know, when you look at a cross section of our country, there there's everybody. You know, there's every kind of person that you can have. So if if you are inclusive and you do pick something that's, you know, maybe what we would consider non mainstream, it, it actually is mainstream because all of those people are represented re, excuse me, represented in our you know, our nation's population, in the world's population. Um, so, so it, you know, if you're truly creative, it's not pandering. It's more like just realizing the, the roles and the, the types of personalities and, and genders and races that, that actually exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's more, a lot more than the, the, the same five or uh, uh, six types that you usually see uh, that you see them mostly because they work in, um, they sell movies, books, TVs, uh, shows, but there's more than that, so you might as well use them. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> obviously there there weren't enough around to have anybody of color really on Friends or anything like that. I'm just poking. I'm just poking people. But but yeah, I mean, there, there, I, I like. Friends in New York City. I'm sorry. Was Friends in New York City? Yes, and they had that big ass apartment. Two those two apartments, you know, which which I guess would have gone for about what you know several grand, three four thousand dollars a piece a month. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it it was set in New York. It wasn't very realistic, but it was entertaining. You know, people really loved the show. Yeah, I mean, I mean, finding people of color in New York is is really hard. I mean, it's almost like as far as <laughs> Iowa. 
that, like, you just can't, I mean, this is not bad. I mean, you can't afford it. <laughs> what are you, I mean, yeah, what, well, what is a, a, a producer with millions and millions of dollars to do? I mean, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard out there. Yeah, you don't you don't want to just make something up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean like I mean how anyway, are you gonna do Yeah. <laughs> go go ahead. I was like, how are you just gonna, you know it, it's like you would put out a casting call and then people would apply I, I, there's no way you would found a person of color. That's not how it works. Yeah. Well, they would have had to import one from Philadelphia or someplace like that. So, yeah, that would have been expensive. Um, all right. So let's talk about where do you think you're going to be, you know, five years from now? Your, your creative career is, you know, less than a couple years old. Where, where do you think you're going to be? You know, let's talk five years in the future. You know, are, will you be doing more creative works? Will you be branching out to that that transmedia thing where you're going to um, produce your works in other mediums? Um, what what do you think the, the evolution of your creativity is going to be like down the road? Well, William, if you look at the second page of my resume, I think I'll be a valuable member of this company. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me for my five-year plan here, man. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, for me, for me, I I have, I have, uh, I have, um, four, uh, three books that I, I I'm gonna do. Okay, I can say that uh, that are going to be produced this year. That'll be published this year. I want to write another book. I want to invite other authors to do an anthology. So yeah, I've got. I've kind of got a loose plan that I'm following, maybe not exactly a five-year plan, but it's more like episodic. I know what kind of episodes I want to write into my life in, in the service of my creative career. And, and I guess that's what I'm telling you. I, yeah, I, I get your meaning about the resume thing, and I also noticed that you were, you were so, you know, you, you put on there uh, uh, references available on request so that you can make sure I only call the right people. But okay, fine. But I mean, when you, when you think about how you're going to space out things or what kinds of things are like really cool for you to look at doing in the future, um, you know, what, what, are, what are you thinking in terms of? Um, okay, so oh, hold on a sec. For me, five, five years in the future, um, I'm thinking by then I want to have a, 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 just a crap ton of books out. Um, and I want I want to have a, a William moment at Walgreens. Um, so those are all in the those are all the <laughs> And, you know, um, well, since everyone else got a Netflix, I, I mean, I, right now I need I need a Netflix deal that, uh, you know, for at least for at least one B uh, TV show. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, and a couple B movies. Uh, I would love. I would I would be the master of B movies because I just love those for some some sometimes they are just fun. Um, also. Um, because I used to, back in the day, I used to watch those Comcast movies that were free, and they were terrible, but always fun to watch. Um, so that's what sure. I want to do with my career. Um, but really the end goal of my career, uh, well, not really an end goal, but 
the biggest thing I would love to be in my career is uh, one day work for like a, a Lucas Arts uh, and create some kind of Star Wars content. Um, I, I, I would just love that because um, I've got so many visions for the Force. <laughs> um, well, have you have you thought about doing fan fiction in the Star Wars universe? Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's on the I think that's in the roadmap. Um, I'm going to do a little bit more. Uh, I think in a couple of years from now, actually, I'm probably going to do some fan fiction um, because I just I just think they they have so many. They have so many crayons, and they they only color with like two. Um, so <laughs> that is a huge, huge universe. And although they are starting to try to milk it for a lot more money and make a lot of content, they are still very because it's a billion dollar franchise. They're very afraid. Um, they're not going to move fast and break things. They are going to. They're an 800-pound gorilla that's going to be slow. Um, so there, so there's a lot of things where I just like I would love to see, you know, something, some, some ideas that I have that I would love to see. Now, um, I, I don't know very much, you know, like Paramount protected, you know, their Star Trek franchise, and and people had done full-length movies, you know, they they built realistic sets. Um, uh, you know, a lot of those fan movies were very, very popular, and then you know Paramount started stepping on those people. Um, mm-hmm. Is what uh, just off the top of my head? Do you know what would be required of you in order to publish, um, a, a, you know, a novel in the Star Wars universe? Um, do you have to get prior permission? Uh, do you have you even have you even looked into it? I'm just curious. Well, Star Wars has always been pro fan fiction. Um, that's one of the reasons why the property lasted for so it has lasted for so long. Is because when they had their droughts, um, the fans stepped in to um, kind of really fill in the gaps. Um, I would I would assume I mean my goal for fan fiction is I want to try to profit off of it. It would just be a straight up here it is for free. Throw it in the pirate rebs and see what happens. <laughs> well, that that's not a bad idea because if you do well, <clears throat> excuse me, if you do well, you're building name recognition and reputation, which you know does spill over to your other work. If people like your work in the Star Wars universe, they're going to go, well, I wonder what else he does. You know what I mean? No, exactly. And that would be the only. I mean, that's the only thing I would say I would want to gain out of it besides spreading the uh, the really fun stories. <laughs> if I do say so myself, uh, they are going to be pretty fun and pretty, um, I would say, expanding. Um, and that's, that's the biggest thing I think I have to bring to the author community is that I feel like I'm just a... I feel like I'm just a very big catalyst for new ideas and taking things in non-stagnant directions. Um, Right now, I feel like I watch a science fiction movie, and I can tell you that the biggest twist is that they um, they did a like a, a a diversity swap on one of the characters, and you're like, this is the exact same movie I watched 20 years ago. There's nothing cool. There's so many. There's so much new technology that we can make our make our fiction with that it's not going anywhere um like one thing um one of my favorite 
things that um, I'm taking inspiration from right now is Black Mirror. I'm just a, I'm a huge Black Mirror fan. Uh, one of my favorite episodes mm-hmm. is the one with the black guy, 15 million merits. Uh, merits. Um, that is just an amazing, beautiful written piece of work. Um, um, if you're not familiar with the episode, it's the one where they um, they live in, you don't even know what it is. It's like it's almost like a prison. Um, they're all the worker bees at the bottom. And and it's just a beautiful piece of social commentary because there's the worker bees at the bottom. There's the um, people at the top that live great. Um, and all they do is live on bikes all day to power the, the social media. Um, and so, and then, and it stars the, uh, the main character who is black that, um, he is in falling in love with this woman and it goes into wild different directions. And that's the kind of stories that I want to tell are fun, new science fiction that quite honestly, you couldn't have got like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. They just didn't sure. exist yet. Um, and I want to make it to where there is stories that are new um, because, you know, Terminator is expired. There's no, there's nothing there that I, that's new, that's fun. There's plenty of fun directions they could take it in, but replaying 1984's, uh, um, uh, let's see, Hysteria and Fears. Uh, don't have, um, I mean, like, I don't have, I mean, people don't have the same fear that they have in, 19, in 1984. Um, I don't want to see any more red scares. Like, I'm not scared of that kind of stuff anymore. Um, right now, I'm more scared of, a, I mean, I would be more scared of a tech scare. You know, a red, a, a Facebook is probably the new te- uh, red scare for me. Um, and I can see that in a lot of other people, anxiety of just, what would happen if they took over? Well, okay, that, that brings that brings to mind a good question. Um, Facebook is, to me, the crowning example of the ubiquity of the dumbing down of America. All right? And so when you take Facebook and how it manipulates people and how easily people are manipulated, it makes me wonder if somehow... Excuse me, I might be writing myself out of creative existence because I refuse to write at a fifth grade level about stupid uh, stupid things. And, and so now you look at that, that, that huge audience out there that doesn't think for themselves, that really lacks a lot of imagination, and, and they let social media do their thinking or at least decide what they're going to believe for them. You know, as a creator and, and, and trying to do some really creative things in writing, I, I, there, there are days when I question why did you go in this direction when people aren't reading more. And that was a really big at the turn of the century because, you know, book sales were down. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of anti-intellectualism. But still, you have to wonder if the average reader out there is reading at a fifth grade level um, and and is not used to abstract thinking. Um, is Is there going to be a market for what I produce for anything but a small niche bunch of people who, who have managed to overcome those societal di- di- uh, difficulties, you know, 
But do you have any thoughts on that? Finding Nemo is made for, was it like four-year-olds or whatnot? And that's still a beautiful story. Yes. Um, Sure. So you can do it. Um, <laughs> get a peck talk. You can do it. If Fighting Nemo can do it, you can. Um, there's still ways. Um, you may have to evolve. evolve. Um, uh, that's, that is one thing as a creative that we don't like to do is actually evolve in directions sure. that we didn't see coming. Um, we all know we have to improve our craft, and we're all working on improving our craft. But sometimes we forget that we have to evolve our storytelling type. Um, we have to tell different types of stories sometimes. Um, when the economy is crashing and people want hopeful stories, we can we can we can tell a hopeful story. It's not going to kill us. Um, but when the, everything's hopeful and uh, uh, dystopia is a in dystopia almost becomes a type of porn, we can make that too. We have to evolve with the modern times um, um, and making adapting to what's currently happening. That is one of the things that makes fiction beautiful is that it can evolve. Um, and one of the reasons why even when they're going to make AI that can write books eventually, um, that can write books as well as any human, people aren't going to read those books because no one cares about what the AI thinks. Um, and, and so that's why people are going to care about what you think about what's going on in now and the future, or even what you think about what happened in the past. Um, and you just have to tell it through a modern, the most modern lens that you can. Well, also when you talk about, you know, you, that, that's a good point. When you talk about <clears throat> crafting stories based upon the past, you know, there there are a lot of different perspectives that you can apply to the exact same event. Um, you know, look at how many different theories we have for JFK's assassination, and you know, we had a movie done about it. We've had countless books. We have some mope in the White House who wants to declassify classified files years early. We have, uh, you know, we have so many things associated with, with with the one event. So yeah, your point is well taken. That that there is there is, you know, creative. There's good fodder for just about everything. And and your point about adapting to current cultural climate is also um, very cogent because, you know, when you look at, uh, let's look at a risk-averse industry like Hollywood, you know, you see three volcano movies coming at the same time, three meteor going to hit America or hit the earth um, at the same time movies. You have, um, you know, whatever is a hot genre. You've got right now, I guess the biggest thing is these uh, comic book characters are, are the big in thing in terms of Hollywood being risk averse. But, you know, to your point earlier in the show, in the interview, um, that you can, you know, we, the two of us discussed delineating between commercially successful and, and creatively um, successful. Uh, you know, sometimes you're just going to have to break the mold, especially if it appeals to you. And, and I think that also talks about, that speaks to whether or not, you know, how far are you willing to compromise your art in the name of something else, maybe revenue or politics or, you know, someone holding your children hostage or, or you know, whatever the motivation is. So, you know, those are those are really cogent points that people should take to heart. Um, it's it's 
definitely necessary to understand your environment and understand your audience. And I think mm-hmm. your your point is well taken. If if you forget about that, you're you're not going to be successful, and you're probably not going to serve up anything that's going to be satisfying to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and there's, I, there's I a don't... dynamic situation because yes, you can. If you're if you're the point of your book is to be is to say that everyone's dumb because of social media, and only me and a bunch of niche people understand that then that, you know, that is going to resonate with some people. But if your point is to resonate with the people that you think are dumb, um, <laughs> well, you, first off, you have to get that out of your head. And then second off, you have to understand that these are actual people and that you can write something that will force them to evolve as well. Um, you obviously don't want to write a, a thick you know, a ten-letter word every other uh, word between every article. <laughs> war and peace. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You don't want to write war and peace uh, for that for that crowd, but you can slowly evolve them. I mean, people didn't get dumb off of social media off of one day. The current state of Facebook was not what they introduced us. It, it would have failed back in whenever two thousand what. 2010 or 14 or whenever it came out. Um, if they yeah. in- introduced Facebook now, back then, Instagram, all those other uh, social media, they would have all failed horribly. They slowly evolved the audience into it. Um, and that's what's going to happen with your, I mean, if you can find a way to resonate with the crowd and you want to uh, change the way that they think, um, you can do that, but you do have to speak their language. Yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, I I would I don't think that you know my my personal opinions about where where this earth is going or where our culture is going or what's going on, you know, that's not you know that's not going to be you know the be all end all of my creativity because you know a lot like I said you know I I came to grips with the fact that I'm kind of like an elitist snob and and you know sometimes you know a lot of the things that I think are not going to be popular. And and they're not going to be kind, you know. There's you know, and and there's there's really let's be honest, there's very little audience for that. So your mm-hmm. your point to evolving your craft, evolving your content to meet the needs of the current culture is is especially cogent and and something that creatives should pay attention to. You know, when they're learning, well, I think I'm going to learn how to write. I think I'm going to write my first book. I think I'm going to, you know, and whatever whatever the end of that sentence is, you know, um, you, you, though all of those points have to be taken into account because in order to be even commercially successful or creatively successful, the word is success. And there are measurements for that. How many books did you sell? How many people bought the anthology that your story is in? How many magazines that you're, or how many comics that you produce were purchased? And, and so whether it's creative or commercial, again, there are metrics for you to examine how well your message is getting out. You know, do people believe in what you're talking about or or at least do they do they like it enough that they they read it, they tell their friends to read it and it reaches a certain groundswell of support. So yeah, all of that all of that makes so much sense and and those are good 
um, points to to emphasize when you're talking to other people about, well, what does it take to be a success? Well, let's define success, and then we can go on from there. Um, we've got about five minutes to go. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about before before we end the evening? I mean, I can go into economics all day all day long, but <laughs> in five minutes, let's, let's limit that. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, well, first thing is, you know, my schedule is open, so if you want to book me for a panel, you can uh, just send me an email. Uh, email's on the website. Uh, second. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's, that's a going. good point. Um, will you travel? Because you mentioned that you were going to kind of pull back from conventions. <clears throat> if, you, if you get a really juicy offer, is that something that you would entertain? Uh, yes, yes, I would entertain a, a really juicy offer. Um, I got the time off of work. I've got, I got the money. Um, if you got a got a juicy offer for me, I'll be there. Um, and second, um, about my books, um, just want to let everyone know I write space opera. I've got a um, superheroes versus AI out, a very um, Age of Ultron esque book. And then my my last book is about an incel, um, kind of incel with VR technology mix. Um, and then um, I've got some, uh, I've got a lot more space well, opera give them, coming. Give them the titles. Let people let people oh. know exactly what the titles are so that they know what they're looking for. Oh no! Yes, this guest. Well, the space operas are Galactic Mandate. Um, that's pretty easy to find. It's Galactic Mandate. You can type that in anywhere. Um, the uh, the Age of Ultron S kind of book is called um, No More Superhumans: Freedom or Death. Um, and then the Intel book is called Involuntary Love. Um, so um, those are the titles of my current uh, books. I've got. A galactic mandate, uh, uh, infinite darkness um, is on on my um, on the table. I've got an unnamed prequel um, that's on the table that's going to come out. Um, I would say a couple months, and then I've got um, a bunch of other things that I'm working on. Um, I've got a semi romance, um, not not too romantic, but a semi romance, and then I'm just going to be all over the board for a little while. Well, I mean, that's kind of good because obviously you're stretching, you know, what what you you know what you want to cover, and that's you know it, that keeps people from being bored, you know, or going, oh, he wrote this again. Um, but anyway, uh, what I'd like to do is, you know, I try to keep track of the people that we interview, and when they have you know new things coming out or something you know pretty significant kind of drops, we definitely want to try to get them back so that you could talk about your new work. Um, so we'll, you know, I'll make sure Jarvis keeps in touch, and and I hope to run into you at another one of these conventions. The only two I'm I'm scheduled to go to this year, and I might add a third, is uh, Boston over Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. I want to go down to Dragon Con over Memorial, or no, Labor Day, and then there's Multiverse Con, and that's in October. Of I, I guess middle of the month. I don't remember exactly what day it is. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing people. The coolest part is when I run into somebody who I've interviewed on the show and, and who I've never met, and they go, hey, I'm so-and-so. You interviewed me then. And I get to actually meet all of these extraordinary people that I've gotten to, to interview. So 
that's the best part for me. Um, I don't know when I'm going to see you again, but uh, but I do look forward to it. Hey, kindred spirits always meet up, so uh, you don't have to worry. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to close the show just a couple of minutes early, mostly because I'm I'm not feeling very well, and uh, you know I, I'm just going to you know, and plus Jarvis is already eating wings, so I can't get him to come on and tell us about all the cool things, the new cool things for BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. But you know. Um, for those of you who are listening, it's, it, we're, we've been talking with M.R. Richardson. And the other thing is um, I, I really, really, really like it when somebody is so devoted to their work. I think people should check you out. Um, it sounds like you've got great stuff. If, it, you know, if, if I can get to it, I will because I try to read as much as possible, but I don't read when I'm writing so that I don't mess up and do something derivative or get an idea and you know it subconsciously mm -hmm. but um i i invite everybody to check out his work i want uh, I, and and you know what i want everybody who i meet to have whatever level of success they're looking for so that's uh, that's my wish to you man um thank you for being here i hope you enjoyed yourself oh i did and thank you for having me um i hope everyone's success. I hope the Black Science Fiction Society does explode. So, Yeah, yeah. It's, well, you know, it's been around, I think, 11 years now, which has outlasted anything else that was like it. Um, Jarvis has been very successful in maintaining it. Um, the content there is unbelievable. The, the, the creatives who drop by and bring, you know, uh, video clips, artwork, um, you know, who post up what their, their short stories and, and novels are like, um, has, has truly been uh, a, a boon. It's, it's a great resource. So um, thank you, though, for, for giving up your Friday night. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you were here. And like I said, I, I look forward to seeing you. Hey, do you ever get to Chicago for any reason? Um, well, uh, Chicago is one of the cities where, if, hey, if you guys have a cool convention, I will come because um, it's on my hit list of cities to visit. All right. I, um, uh, if you come this way, be sure to let me know so that we can have breakfast or lunch or dinner or something and, and hang out. And, uh, you know, I'll keep you out of the bad parts of town. There aren't that many, but... Uh, we could probably have a pretty good time. So yeah, if uh, you know, we've got uh, I forget which which conventions we have. We got a ton of them. But if you ever come this way, let me know. Please let me know because I I would love to get together. Okay. All right. All right. And to everybody who picked this up live tonight, I want to thank you for being here, listening, and checking us out. And those of you who picked this up as a podcast, again, your your patronage is well appreciated. Um, I keep trying to get Jarvis to uh, to drop in near the end of the show and tell us what's new, but the dude loves his wings. And so when it gets to that time of night, it's tough to get him away from his wings. Um, but uh, hopefully maybe next week we can have him in for a few minutes. He could talk about what 2020 is going to be like for BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. Um, maybe if there's any changes in some of the other works, we've got Talk About It Tuesdays. We've got this show. We've got a number of really cool things that go on um, uh, with BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. And it's, it's a great, great environment 
for people who want to look for the best in black science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So on behalf of uh, Jarvis and myself, I want to wish everybody a good evening. Um, Mr. Richardson, I want to thank you for being here, and um, thank you for sharing welcome, your Friday night with us, okay? You guys have never tried my chicken, but it will blow your socks off. Just like guys, all everybody know that's listening, I have the best chicken. It is a burnt buffalo, delicious. Oh, so see, now we're going to fix your ass for having said that. <laughs> One day you're going to open the door, there's going to be 284 people going, okay, dude, give it up on the chicken. So anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for being here. Have a, have a great weekend, everybody. And, oh, um, it's a three-day weekend. We're celebrating the birth of Martin Luther King Jr. on Monday. Um, I invite everybody to revisit his I Have a Dream speech or think about what he what what he stood for and and what it may mean to you so everybody have a great time thanks for being here and we'll see you all next week um Bye. good night everybody <laughs>